We're going to bring you on to our huddle. You are in the Warriors Huddle with me, Bram, with me per usual, my boy, producer, and resident Greek national volleyball player, Marcus <laughs> Taylor. What's up, Dev Nation? MT, good to see you. And uh, joining us, just as you'd expect, our master of all things sound, and a man who will literally scar your face with his love, Mr. Maxime Stanet. <laughs> What's going on, Maxime? What's up? What's up? Uh, boys. No guest today for a couple of reasons. Uh, we need a little bit of space to talk about the beginning of this year, and we still have a bunch of great listener questions to get to. So let's go ahead and jump right in. And we can't run from it, man. The opener was ugly. It was kind of hard to watch. And realistically, I mean, we got to say this, it was the first game. We probably can't learn any lasting things from it at all. I, I think judging a team on a single game is like judging a restaurant on the appetizer. You know, there's a lot left to learn on this damn thing. And we got to point out that Brooklyn is a very good team. Uh, in fact, I pulled a, a clip from the Bill Simmons podcast. I think this came out last week. I'm not sure. Certainly before the opener. And he pointed out just how good uh, Brooklyn is. So here's that clip. I think this team's going to be really, 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 really good. And I'm going way, way over house. Yeah, I'm going to join you on that over. And the point you made about Kyrie as a luxury is, a, is to me the, the crucial point. They can indulge him going off and doing all of the performative nonsense, whatever way he wants to express himself. They don't necessarily need him on the bas basketball court. Uh, but with that in mind, I, I think everybody listening knows I'm not one for sane reactions and I need to get some of this crap off of my chest. So we do have to talk about the opener. Let me also say, let's call this, I don't know, a, a warrior's safe space. I'm pretty sure I'm getting ready to say some things that I'm going to regret, that I'm sure I'll realize we're not fair, that I'll want to take back. But I also, you know, look, we're all warrior fans here. We should be allowed to say things now and then forget about them in the future. So uh, with that understanding, I'm going to go ahead and say this. Boy, am I crazy to say, I, at least for an evening, I think I hated Andrew Wiggins. I mean, am I alone? Did he drive you guys crazy throughout that first 48 minutes or what? No, I was having like a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde internal situation being like, trade him? No, we got to we gotta keep it together. It was pretty rough. <sighs> Mine was all Dr. Jekyll. I was, I was <laughs> up for trading him the entire time. Every time he touched the ball, I was just like, what is wrong? Like, he just seemed uninterested. Like, somebody on Twitter talked about it, like his even when he missed it, like his bricks have a different sound to him. There's, it's a mm. special kind of clang that just sounds like that was not going in for sure, for sure. Well, his bricks made the noise of, I don't care either. I mean, the <laughs> thing that drove me crazy wasn't the fact that he wasn't making shots. Anyone who's ever played basketball, watched basketball, thought about basketball. Bad games happen, you know, and, and he had a bad game. Fine. But his reactions were driving me crazy. It's just like you talked about. He was as disappointed at a missed shot as most people are when they misuse chopsticks you know he was like oh like yeah i wish that had gone better but it is what it is and when you add on top of that what's happening right now one of the huge questions man is who is going to be the second scorer on the floor one of the things we talked about uh just in our last podcast and that the owner lego pointed out 
was what we need right now. The, the thing that's going to make a difference for this team are the wings is Wiggins and Ubre. And as he was the bed, it looked like Wiggins didn't care. And even worse than that, there were times that he was just openly deferring to Jordan Poole. You know, and, and so again, overreaction, theater, warrior, safe space. Maybe he comes out against Milwaukee and puts up a 50 spot and I've got to swallow all of this. But there were certainly times, man, where uh, let's just say I, I suddenly understood why Minnesota fan wasn't crying buckets when he got traded. Let's put it that way. Yeah, definitely. It was frustrating. I mean, he, he obviously had a bad game and I don't think that's going to be representative of how he plays for the entire season. But the the fact that he wasn't willing to impact the game in other ways because his shot wasn't falling. Like when he missed those two wide open threes, it, it was like over. He just dropped into that negative space and never came out of it and was disengaged. He was not really caring. And it was just, you know, he had that one turnover right before the loony turnover too. And it was just those back-to-back plays were just like, do you even care? Like, yes. why should we pay you millions of dollars if you don't give a I mean, like thirty million a year to look sheepishly or sheepishly embarrassed, like he farted in an elevator, you know. And it's like, like, dude, like, no, lock in. We we need something here from you. Um, and we also have to say, and this is a point we called before they played. This isn't new, and uh, Kerr even kind of warned us on it. But there wasn't a whole lot of chemistry in that opener either. Uh, now, hopefully, that's something that's going to come with them playing with one another uh, after the game. Kerr said that it's going to take them about 20 games to get their rotations right and to kind of figure out how they're going to play. But we said it before, we've got to confirm it now. You know, one of the things that that worries me about where this team can finish in the West is these first few games because they don't necessarily know how to ball together yet. And it's going to be a little while before they figure it out. Yeah, it, it's, it's cause for concern. I mean, Brooklyn is a legit team. Um, so, you know, you, you have to keep that in perspective too. Like they will definitely be in the conversation for coming out of the East. Um, so there's that we shot the ball horribly too. So, you know, I think there's a couple of factors there. I don't think Ubre and Wiggins, you know, shoot that poorly combined. Like Ubre was 0 for 6 or something from three. Um, but he still, you know, was trying to bring the energy and he had that one, amazing um tip dunk in that you know just kind of showed what he can do so i think it's an overreaction to say that we um aren't talented and will miss the playoffs i mean we didn't have you know draymond green either um but it's just it's cause for concern when your second leading scorer is james wiseman well, it's, it's the reaction, and Weisman is the upside, and we're going to celebrate the hell out of him next. But is exactly what you just said. That's why it was Wiggins' reaction that caught my eye. So we didn't really learn anything about the team you know, in a single game. We can't. They, they are implementing a new defensive system. They're implementing a new offensive system. They have a bunch of new pieces. Of course it's going to take them a while. Of course it is. But while they are doing that, while they're figuring it out, one of the things I'd like to see is that you know, Wiggins, an individual who has been tapped by the owner publicly on television as being the key to this season, I'd like to see him giving maximum effort the entire time. I don't feel like that's too f-ing crazy to ask for, and I don't feel like we saw that in the first game of the season. So and I had to get it off my chest. I had to, and hopefully this is it. This will be the last time we say that, and you know, he, this, this propels him to an unbelievable year uh, as we go forward. Yeah, I mean, I think the other thing I'd love to hear 
Connor or Wes or Bonte, one of our guests, talk about it too. But it was interesting that Juan um, Toscano started the second half for Pascal. Like, it didn't seem like he was injured unless I missed it. But, um, I mean, this is a guy who was waived and then signed to a, you know, 10-day or two so he can get on a two-way. And he's starting the first game of the season, the second half. So, um, I don't, you know, like you have to put faith in Kerr and he knows who's been playing well in practice and who's earned it. But it's a bit of a head scratcher. It's like out of all the people, you know, at least last year when we were losing, like we were still fighting. There was still that underdog and there was still that like we are scrappy and we aren't going down just, you know, being pushed over. We aren't as talented, but we're still going to fight for it. Last uh, game we were getting pushed over and it didn't seem like we had any fight in us and it's like who's gonna you know like where are those players from last season who would do that and they were on the bench and I was just it was curious that they were putting in Juan in that situation yep sure uh, I mean you know we gotta hope that Draymond's fire flips us around and there's kind of like a shell shock you know they start the season KD comes off remarkably hot and he looked like KD by the way Kyrie must have uh, done whatever kind of shaman like activities in that arena because he was murdering it and you know the Warriors were down big early and they were shell shocked Uh, so you know a lot of reasons to put this thing to the side but we'd be lying to say it wasn't frustrating let's talk about something that uh, was not frustrating and let's go overreaction the other way so I'm thinking James Wiseman is ready for the Hall of Fame is it is it too early to say that (laughs) or huge fan Um, and And to keep a theme, it wasn't just what he did on the floor physically that caught my attention. It was his mental involvement. As he was piling up a 19 and six, um, after, by the way, not playing any basketball on any level for, you know, forever, he seemed calm. He seemed like he knew exactly what he wanted to do out there. And he didn't seem surprised by his success. And I, I just love what that suggests for his future because it wasn't just his skill set it was his mentality that was slightly on display and I'm excited boys I'm on board for him yeah and jump in Maxime after this but uh, I agree I mean you could see why the Warriors were excited about him and um, some of the comments like um, KP had when we had her on the podcast of if he would have played a full season in college, like he would have been undoubtedly the number one pick. So I think, you know, we got lucky there and he looks like he has the potential to be a stud. I think the fact that there are no fans in the arena probably helped him in a weird way. Like it's almost like a scrimmage, um, you know, and like practice environment. He's not in front of 17, 18,000 fans screaming against him or for him. Uh, which, you know, makes it a little different. So I think he, you know, got... It's uh, one less transition. Yeah, It's one exactly. less transition. It's, yeah. it's a different environment for him. And not to say that he wouldn't have played as well in front of a crowd, but it's probably a helpful way to ease into the NBA life of it feeling a little more like a, a practice scrimmage game just against a really good opponent. Well, if you want a quick peek into what other people would say uh, as a back and forth, you said before you'd like to know what Connor would say, and then you just mentioned KP. I can't give you Connor, but I can give you Sarah Todd. And this is a little embarrassing because it forces me to admit to you guys I've used that chopsticks analogy before. But after the Wiggins 
the bed scenario. I texted a few people. One of the people I'd, I reached out to was Sarah. Complained about him, bitched about him, then ultimately used that chopsticks thing. And she wrote back, he doesn't even try with chopsticks. He doesn't have that effort. He goes straight for the fork. So credit for her. Very solid <laughs> line. And then with uh, KP, I wrote or, or uh, direct messaged her. Um, is it weird that I'm already in love with Wiseman? And she wrote back one word, yes. So, you know, she uh, she also <laughs> said he has an incredible future. She said he has an incredible future, but she also pressed me uh, on, you know, falling head over heels in love after I think I sent that at about four minutes into the game, right after he got his first rebound or something. So, you know, context probably matters. Uh, Maxine, I'm going to give you a number and then ask you a question. The number is seven. It is the spread for the Warriors game against Milwaukee on Christmas. Where would your money lie if you had to bet it? Uh, yeah, I don't think they're going to cover that. Um, listen, I, I think we we expected, or at least I expected, for these first two games to be pretty tough, and that's why I'm trying to bite my tongue. It was not easy, but I, look, Kerr said there are going to be chemistry issues. Clearly, he's still trying to figure out rotational stuff. I think he's still sort of stuck a little bit in his ball movement ways that come at the expense of getting Curry going in a way that kind of left me pretty uncomfortable watching that game. Um, And I don't think that's going to change overnight or in 48 hours um, for this Bucks game. So, you know... uh, I'm expecting I'm expecting it to be a a solid Bucks win, so I'm not gonna bet on that line. I'm the opposite. I think the Warriors win. They played a hell of a game last Christmas and shocked Houston. Um, they play well during those games and have always done so too against Cleveland when they have to play um, on that big day. And I think it's a bounce back. I think Curry shoots it a lot better. So does Ubre. I think Draymond plays. Um, I think Wiseman comes down to earth a little bit, but that everybody else steps it up and um, we're, we're a better team than we showed. And I think we show that against Milwaukee and there's a little bit of extra incentive to dig it into Giannis for not even letting us give him a pitch for coming that to us. A boy for anybody out there who says that Marcus is the rational one and not like overly optimistic. <laughs> take that. Suck on <laughs> that. I, I'd like to agree with you. Um, I'll add in this quote and then tell you why I don't. Uh, they were talking with Kerr and I think it was before the opener. And somebody asked him about that goal of having a top 10 defense at the end of the year. And his take was, yeah, you know, it is a goal. Also, can we start counting that after the first two games of the season, recognizing that they were going to play Brooklyn and Milwaukee, you know, and two very talented offensive teams. Um, We've lauded Kerr for being honest in the past. Let's laud him for being honest right now. He knew there was going to be issues right up front. He knew these teams were going to be very good right up front. So I think they are looking at two bad losses right up front. Maybe I'll be wrong. And I great. But if I had to put money on this, it would be uh, Milwaukee minus seven um, and hope to be proven wrong. Boys, last week we started what I hope to be an ongoing segment. Uh, it didn't have a name because I said I was going to put it up to vote. Good news. I never actually put it up to vote. That's on me. We still don't have a name. So I'm going to, for at least now, use your name, Maxine. We're going to call it Warriors Oracle. And the idea is that um, we sit back, we uh, field your guys' questions on a weekly basis, and we try to take ones that are not only Warriors-focused, but also as entertaining as hell. And here's the first one. Um, Erica at Redwood Day asked this, quote, who do you boys think will be the top three scorers on this team at the end of the year? And who leads the team in blocks and rebounds? 
this is the type of question that's more analytical than we normally get to. But now that we've had, you know, we've, we've got to see them play once and there were some questions about who Wiggins might be, I wanted to get an updated take on it. So, MT, I'm going to throw it towards you first. The top three scorers will be who? Top three scorers will be Steph, Wiggins, and Oubre. I say it'll be uh, Steph, Steph, and Steph. Uh, <laughs> Maxime, who's number two? I mean, I, so, I mean, jokes aside, I think I agree with you. Um, not I think. I think that's what it has to be unless Wiseman becomes way better than any of us could have even hoped for. Um, so I, I'm going to go with the same response. Do you agree? Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I, I, you know, I think part of it comes down to I want to see more defensive effort from Wiggins. Um and I don't think that's going to happen. And that would be the only thing, you know, that might tire him out such that his offensive load kind of suffers. But I don't think that's going to happen. So, yeah, I agree. How many games before we worry? Let's say they lose the next two or three. Then um, do we press the panic button? How many games do we give them before we have a sense of who this franchise is right now? Um, I... I don't press the button, but I put my hand over it if we lose to Chicago. Chicago is not a good enough team for us to lose to, especially if we're coming off back-to-back games where we're playing um, potential championship-caliber teams. So that should get us in the mode of you know executing every play correctly um, to start the season. And when you take that mindset and that approach to a Chicago team who um, you know is talented in few in a few positions, but we're a better team. I think if we lose there, then we start to look at ourselves because, um, you know, Chicago is one of the weaker teams in the East. And if we can't get past them when we start hitting, you know, the West teams again, it's murderous row when we hit Phoenix and New Orleans and all the other teams that are jockeying for those final playoff seeds. Yeah, I think I agree with that. I, there's a certain level of team in the NBA where you shouldn't need chemistry to beat them, you know, at, at the risk of making it really obvious. If the Warriors rolled into a YMCA right now, even if they had zero chemistry between them, of course they should steamroll whoever the hell is on the floor. Chicago isn't a YMCA team. They're not that f-ing far off, right? And, and there's going to be occasions, even if the Warriors haven't put it together Chemistry-wise, their talent should still shine out if they are who we think they are. And Chicago might be a good look. Uh, but let me flip this for you, Maxime. Tasha in Alameda asks, should the Warriors consider making a move for James Harden? So I'm going to flip it. Um, you know, that, That's not on the table anymore. If Harden doesn't want to be here, the Warriors probably don't have the assets to bring him in. So should they consider making a move for him? No. But let me ask it this way. Does Harden owe more to the Houston fans, Maxime. Um, and, and let me let me explain that. Free agency is completely justified. These players should be allowed to play wherever the hell they want. And if James Harden doesn't want to be in Houston anymore, that's up to him. He, you know, he's got an incredible uh, talent. He's earned the right to pick the location in which he, he applies his craft. But what he has done is completely screw over the Houston fan base. You know, by coming out and making it obvious he wants to be trade and, you know, missing games or at least missing training camp and going to strip clubs and all this stuff, what he has done is drive down the trade value for whatever it is that Houston gets. And at the end of this, he's got a fan base who has done everything over the last four or five years, you know, buying his jersey, showing up to games, supporting him in every way, shape or form. When he leaves, because of the way he's handling this, 
that fan base is going to be rooting for a team that got screwed, you know, that probably got less assets back on his way out. So from a straightforward fairness perspective, does he owe something more to the fans of Houston, if not to the team? Should he have handled this differently? Maybe, but I think at the end of the day, he's not it's I don't think this has anything to do with the fans. I think he's looking at one person and one person only, and that's Tillman Fertita. You know, I think he might have owed something to Leslie Alexander. Uh, but I think the way that Fertitta has played his entire tenure at the helm of the Rockets, I don't actually blame Harden at all whatsoever. I feel bad for that fan base that they got such a shit owner. But at the end of the day, I, you know, I see all of this as being retribution for a series of horrendous moves that saw both their GM and quite an excellent coach leave within the you know the first two years only to be replaced by, you know, people that I think totally deserve a shot in the NBA, but are certainly not A-listers, the type of um, executives that, that should be coaching somebody like James Harden. But wasn't Harden demanding for all those moves? Didn't he demand that, that Paul join them and then it didn't work out? Then he demanded that it was Russell Westbrook and then it didn't work out? I mean, he, he was behind a lot of those those decisions that ultimately didn't play. Yeah, I mean, fair enough. The way that that... that organization catered to him I think is a little bit irresponsible um clearly you know because it sounded like uh Daryl Morey at least was not keen on bringing Russell Westbrook into the organization um and evidently rightly so uh but still at the end of the day like I don't I don't I think a better organization probably or or a, a wiser organization would have not let those things happen um but I don't really think that that's ultimately his responsibility you agree with this MT um, I just think, uh, ultimately, I think he is overplaying his hand. I think if he really wanted to get out of Houston, he's going at it the complete wrong way. Um, you know, like you do it behind the scenes in a way with your agent and you don't like go to strip clubs and, you know, like go to parties maskless and, um, just do the things that he's doing. I think the, the way he's going about it is is to your question and point um, not fair to the Houston fan base because they right. haven't done anything. If if James Harden doesn't agree with uh, Tillman and his political views that he supported Trump, whatever, like that's all personal things and you can have that reason and you should be able to play where you want to play and you feel comfortable. But doing it this way, just it diminishes your value. Like he's not in a position of leverage right now. He still has- not going to get back yeah but he still has three years on his contract so houston could sit there and be like well you know if they're we're not going to get anything back like you're still gonna have to play and if you're gonna you know like be reckless with it at that point you know like he was reckless to the point now where they're you know postponing the game so it's i think he's gonna have to um rein it back in a little bit like i understand he's trying to flex his power you don't think he should be going to strip clubs nonstop right before (laughs) the nba season maybe only one strip club i mean (laughs) i i agree with what you are saying but i'll add it or i'll I'll add on top of it i think he owes more to the fan base not because they haven't done anything i think he owes more to the fan base because of what they have done you know assuming that they have a relationship with him the way that golden state has fans have a relationship with steph you know that they i am sure have showered him with with unbelievable adulation you know with with everything they possibly could and now as a thank you and i understand i mean i don't think that maxime's off i think his actions are probably aimed at somebody else but their effect is hitting the fan base just as hard and so really what he's doing as a thank 
you to them doing everything they could to support him is saying you on the way out. Uh, and you know, I don't think that's right. I do not think that's right. And I think he could have ended around it. He could have handled it in a different way. To echo your point, at this point, it's not just the Houston fan base. It's at least the the um, the Thunder fan base as well, right? Because yeah, sure. James Harden going to that game got that game canceled. At this point, it's like he owes the whole NBA a little bit more. And, and you know, in the same way that I feel like Kyrie's actions of calling media members pawns does the NBA in general a disservice, I think a lot of Harden's actions are doing the NBA in general a disservice as well. Jonathan uh, Aikinaga at John IKI93 follows up with this quote, would you boycott the Warriors if Harden came on board? Oh. I would. Yeah. Um, Jonathan, I'd like to tell you yes, I'd like to tell you this, but I think we all know that if the Warriors signed Trump, there's a chance I'd still be a fan, dude. If he could hit it like from, if Trump had an, a, a wide open three-pointer that he could hit consistently, I would, I might still root for them. So Harden, yeah, if, if he came on, dude, I would definitely still be a Warriors fan. Yeah, I don't know about boycotting, but I do have concerns. Like, if there's anybody in the NBA that could ruin uh, the Warriors' excellent culture, it's James Harden. And James, and, and probably Trump, too. I could see him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Trump can only set screens on, on my team. Um, <laughs> if, well, I mean, if okay, good call. And if he could set screens, I'd be happy if he was on the way. Exactly, well. exactly. Um, now, I wouldn't boycott depending on which players we gave up for him. If we gave up any of our core and like if we traded Clay for James Harden, I would I would boycott because you don't do that to Clay, you know. So I think if depending on the package that went out, um, at the end of the day, I think James Harden would be a better fit here than we think he would, and primarily because we don't have amazing strip clubs in the Bay Area, so he wouldn't have <laughs> anything to do, and he would just have to focus on playing basketball. Uh, I mean. Never mind. I was going to make a joke about local strip clubs. Instead, go ahead and cut all of this, Maxime. Legacy in San Ramon writes in to ask this. Do you boys have a League Pass team for this year? Um, And so I'm going to flip it. League Pass team, for those who aren't familiar with the phrase, League Pass uh, is what you pay for to be able to watch every single game. Um, You can watch any team regardless of the market. And sometimes people will pick a team to kind of follow, like a mistress team. Uh, It's not their favorite team, but someone they can kind of watch in on. So I'm going to broaden this and make it two questions. One, is it okay to have a mistress team? And two, if it is, who is your mistress team going into this year? Uh, Maxime, take your first crack. I, I absolutely think it's okay, and and I do it from the standpoint of scouting, let's say. You know, I'm trying to learn a lot more about how the rest of the league operates, and the whole time I'm rooting for the Warriors, even if they're not playing in that game. Um, I will say, for me, the easy one is the Dallas Mavericks. I'm just... Yeah. I think Luka Doncic is is very, very exciting. Um, I love sort of the schadenfreude of um, the Kings passing on him, you know, and I love the intrigue with uh, the the pick swap with the Hawks um, for Trey Young. I think there's just so much of the the NBA mythos that goes into that. And then he's just such an excellent all-around basketball player. It's so much fun to watch. And the pieces that they've put around him are pretty excellent as well. MT, do you feel like Maxime starts every episode with like a vocabulary bingo board in front of him and he has like you know just like i don't know like 20 words and they're out there and he's trying to get five that's connected if he did i feel like that mother just got bingo right there nicely played by you uh 
I think you can have a mistress team, but I also think there needs to be like some parameters on it. Um, I have zero problem if my wife has friends of the opposite sex. But I also, you know, there's at least some limits on how often I want her to be involved in those friendships. If she's going out to dinner with like some other random dude friend every night, if they're calling all the time, you know, there's a certain limit on how often I want them to see each other. Same thing for your involvement with a league pass or mistress team. All good to have a team, you know, and watch and have fun. But if you're suddenly like wearing a Dallas jersey Maxime or like you know circling the games on the uh, calendar or you're all fired up about who they might be able to get with the ninth pick now it's going a little bit too far you know so yes mister's team's fine but some kind of limits on them and I regret that I let you go first in fact I think this is probably why you got my angry bingo answer because you (laughs) took my response Dallas is the guy for me too and I felt like really excited to say that now it just seems like I'm riding your coattails but still the Mavericks and and uh, they're my mistress team. Nice way to ride the coattails. Um, <laughs> for me, yeah, for me. So uh, shameless plug here. Everybody might know I work for Yahoo Sports. Um, you can watch NBA League Pass for free on Yahoo Sports. So there's uh, preview windows going on. There's a first one in the for the first week of the NBA season. As long as it's not a national game or a local game. So if you're a Warriors fan, we can't supersede the Warriors playing on their local channel um, or any like TNT ESPN game. But every other game, you just go to um, Yahoo Sports. You can log on, click on uh, League Pass, and all the games are there just to click on in the little carousel for free. Um, So definitely go check that out. I'm watching all the games and checking out LaMelo Ball and uh, Zion, and it's a pretty cool experience. So... Um, my answer to that though is I don't think I don't think it's cheating um, but Bram to your point as long as it's within limits if I start bringing in this team B's like stats too much into this Warriors podcast and I want to talk about them too much then um, did you guys see LaMelo last night? <laughs> so exactly. good. let's talk about him what are the mailbag questions about Melo? you um, had the word ball tattooed on your back where the jersey <laughs> would otherwise be it's yeah. like oh, whatever but my team would be uh, Portland and mostly because and mainly because uh, outside of the Warriors my favorite player is Damian Lillard and um, I still think Portland, if they can get it together and stay healthy, I still think they're a dark horse to come out of the West. You know, I forgot to say, actually, my mistress team would be Portland because of Damian Lillard. Um, (laughs) Not to ride your coattails or anything. Our last question comes from Jerry in Santa Cruz who asked this. Gentlemen, have you ever had an embarrassing interaction with a professional athlete? No. I wish. MT, anything from you? Um, let me think. I, I, your embarrassing one keeps popping in my head, so I need, I'm trying to get off of that. <laughs> oh, which one? Baron Davis <laughs> or Chris Porter? Baron Davis, but Porter is up there. I forgot about Porter. <laughs> well, I tell you what. While you think of the story, I will tell the Chris Porter uh, tale, and then if something comes up from you, you can you can drop it. So I've Maxime. I'm sure I've told you the Baron Davis one. I know we've told mm-hmm. it on this podcast before, but even before Baron Davis, I was living in an apartment up off Keller in Oakland, which is not too 
far from the Coliseum. If you go down Keller, it becomes Hagenberger, and then Hagenberger runs right into the Coliseum. And in the apartment next to me, after we lived there for about a month, this guy named Chris Porter moved in. And that name probably doesn't ring a bell now. But way back when, the year before he played for the Warriors, Chris Porter was a huge deal. He played for Auburn. He was the National College Player of the Year. And then I don't remember what happened. He got hurt. Something happened between his college success and uh, his NBA debut. And so he ended up as a warrior player, um, and I think they got him in the second round. So he wasn't like a big portion of the team, but he was a very recognizable face because we had just seen him you know, during the March Madness run. And so this guy moves into the apartment literally right uh, next door to me. And I'd like to tell you, Maxine, that I handled it with some kind of class, you know, but I did not. The second that I saw who it was, I started devising plans to try to become his best friend. And I, I thought for sure that was going to happen. And I was a huge Madden player at the time. And I remember literally standing in my uh, kitchen practicing what I was going to say when I went over next door to invite him to come play Madden with me. And like, I worked the whole thing out and like, hi, you know, my name is Bram. I'm a big Warriors fan. Would you like to maybe smoke one? Cause it, it frequently smelled like weed outside this guy's house, smoke one to play. And like, once I got the cadence down and how I wanted to say it in the whole nine yards, I, you know, took this deep breath, open up the door, walk next door, uh, knock on his door, wait a couple of seconds. He opens it up. And I immediately, as if I was talking to you know a girl I had a huge crush on, forgot everything I wanted to say, said something along the lines of, Madden video games, ah, and then ran back into my house, <laughs> closed the door hella quickly, dude. And for whatever reason, we never became best friends. Maxime, he didn't come Weird. over. We never, yeah, we never got to, uh, to play that game of Madden. So yeah, one of uh, a couple embarrassing professional athlete interactions. I appreciate you asking. Jerry, uh, did I vamp long enough, MT? Did you come up with anything? Um, I do have one. Slightly embarrassing. Um, so Steph Curry had an appearance in a, at a camp over in um, what used to be called Jamtown. It's a gym, basketball gym here in Oakland. And um, he did an event and he came and, you know, there was a bunch of kids there to see him and, um, you know, shoot shots with him and hear him talk and do all the stuff that, you know, Steph Curry does when he meets with kids. And they did this raffle and um, a couple of the prizes were like a signed basketball, a signed jersey, um, a signed Steph Curry shoe. And everybody got tickets and I had a ticket because I was helping with the event. And um, Steph Curry's in the middle at the end wrapping it up and he starts, you know, giving away all the prizes and he gives away the basketball and this little kid runs up. He's super excited. Um, he's getting ready to give away the shoe and he calls out the number and it's my ticket. And I ran up like I was a little kid and I didn't like it was a little social pressure to like give the ticket to a kid so that, you know, he could get the signed shoe and a little social pressure. Hopefully there was a lot of social pressure. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it was in front of the whole camp and I immediately ran in there, took it, shook Steph's hand and was just like, not a chance. And no, you kept the shoe. Oh, my God. I'm looking at it right now. It's amazing. It's going to be worth so it's, much money, too. Is it up on the shelf next to all the foul balls you've stolen from little children exactly. around the league? To, it's like, if you actually look up Marcus Taylor, the first thing you will see is Huddle. Second thing you'll see is Yahoo. Third thing is 50 Yahoo, or YouTube videos of Marcus just punching little kids in the face and stealing various things. So, yeah, I mean, and there's a jar. Of, I caught all their tears, too, and I just keep it in there. <laughs> and you say, this is going to be even more valuable than the shoe. <laughs> Hopefully, when you got up there and you grabbed the shoe from Steph, you're like, ah. 
uh, I don't know if you play volleyball ever, but I am an excellent <laughs> volleyball player. No big deal. I thought I might just mention that to you. It is what it is. Exactly. Would you like to go get some euros later? <laughs> Maxime, would you have given up the shoe? So I, personality-wise, uh, you know, there's no way um, I, I'd want it, uh, especially if it's like signed or something. I'd want to put it in my office. So I do. I, my plan would be to do exactly what MT did, try to get in and out super fast. <laughs> right. But I am also like an uber pleaser. Like I'm not a good person. Like I, it's not that I'd want the kid to have it. That's not what would happen at all. But I would feel so guilty about everybody else's displeasure. I can see folding. You know, like it, it's even worse. Like I wouldn't want to give it up and then I'd give it up just because they expected me to for you. Would you, or would you actually, would you keep the shoe? Oh man, that's so tough. Just spending the rest of your life. Oh man, that's really dark. No, I, I don't think I could. Yeah. I, I, I would give it up. I don't think I could. There's like you said, there's just too much social pressure. Finish that sentence. Spending the rest of your life is what? As someone who stole a shoe from a kid? I hope you're listening to this, Marcus, and I want you to be guilty for the rest of your life. Yeah, I'm feeling worse. I already felt bad, and now I'm starting to feel worse. No, no, no. Just go get that jar and catch Maxine's tears, and you will be entirely fine. Last segment, and uh, it's one I've been looking forward to, one we have not had for a while. It is the look around the league. Look around the league. And thankfully, I'm sure for everyone out there listening, it involves me shutting up for a while. Uh, Marcus, in addition to stealing little children's shoes, also <laughs> will occasionally go out, get the greatest stories from around the NBA, shares the top three, and then we vote on which one we want to discuss. MT, what do you got? Cool. Greatest stories is a little tough when we're in greatest. day the two greatest. of the NBA. And if they aren't, no, if they aren't, <laughs> we will not discuss any of them. Greatest walk stories away ever. In shame. Maxine, get the boo button ready. I, I want, if these are not incredible, I want them to be booed lustily. First one is not going to be incredible, I bet. Um, so, LaMelo Ball, he is. Boo! <laughs> <laughs> um, LaMelo Ball. He is, he's an interesting player. He cannot shoot, probably will end up being able to shoot better than his brother Lonzo, but, um, you know, has had two scoreless preseason games, but some of his passes uh, have just lit up Twitter and rightfully so. Um, he is a gifted elite passer and you can just tell his feel for the game is amazing. So um, my question is, should we have passed up LaMelo Ball? Um, second, look around the league, Houston OKC, the first game of the NBA 2020-21 season has been canceled due to COVID. Um, We can talk about how many we think will happen. um, And a fun question about it, which warrior do you think would cause the Warriors to miss their first game because of COVID? Hmm. Um, And third and final story, Paul George and the Los Angeles Clippers played the um, LA Lakers to kick off the season and PG had a great game um the kind of game that everybody was hoping at least clippers fans were hoping that he would have in the playoffs um so i think the discussion now is back to are the clippers the real deal is he a real deal threat and um you know do you think he and Kawhi will stay together or are we starting to talk about Kawhi the same where we were Giannis? Let me start by saying those are just incredibly f-ing great stories. And I'm not <laughs> like, dude, greatest stories from around the league. Uh, for me, the decision's pretty easy. I'll start backwards. Um, I don't want to talk about Paul George because I was bitter about all LA team success and I don't like seeing the Clippers uh, suddenly seem competent again. 
Uh, the COVID thing really catches my eye, but something tells me we are going to be talking about COVID all year, so I would pass that one too. Which brings me to LaMelo Ball. I would pick that story, not because I want to talk about LaMelo's passing, more because I want to talk about, you know, of course they should have passed up on him. Did the Warriors know who the hell Wiseman was? Were they using our boy Connor as this thing went through? So I'd, I'd talk more about the draft. I picked the LaMelo Ball story uh, as my choice. Ooh, you kind of convinced me there. You know, yeah, like I that. got some more opinions about Wiseman too. I, I, you know, I, I do think that this is a pretty unique um, story with the Rockets Thunder game because we've already basically talked about this. But it's not just COVID; it's like COVID and some strip clubs. Um, but with that said, let's go. Let's talk about the draft. It's, what would you have picked, MT, of the greatest stories on earth? Which was the greatest <laughs> in your mind? Um. I probably would have picked COVID just because I, I thought it was interesting if we would have guessed who would from the Warriors would be the first one to cause contact tracing to be a thing. Yeah, it makes sense to me. Um, well, we're still going LaMelo Ball. I was just setting you <laughs> up on that. Is what it is. Let's get your question on the table. I think it's an obvious one, but let's find out. Should the Warriors have passed up on LaMelo after, I mean, the, the lone bright side, uh, I mean, there's only been 48 minutes of this season, but the lone bright side of watching that Brooklyn Massacre was all the optimism that Wiseman brought. I told you I already think he's in the Hall of Fame. Also, huge grain of salt. About four years into Andres Biedren's career, I told my friend Kevin Dwight, like, etch it in stone, he's in the Hall of Fame. And it turns out that Biedren's was not a Hall of Famer, but so, you know, I could have been a little bit wrong on that. Uh, <laughs> but I am already on board with who Wiseman can become, so there's no question in my mind, I think they made the right call on passing up on ball. Do you guys not agree? I agree. Um, I mean, I didn't think Bedrins was going to You probably thought Bedrins would be the best free throw shooter of all time, too, back Settle down. Then. Settle down. Um, Don't you worry about why I thought he'd be in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> and yes, I did. Um, I still think it was right to pass on him. I think LaMelo's strengths, and you are starting to see it on display, is that he pushes the pace and um, is a gifted passer for almost the seven seconds or under type of offense. Like he's going to help speed up Charlotte into a crazy pace, which, you know, we'll see if they can handle and, um, you know, if his game can adapt to it, but he's better at transition and, and catching a rebound and catching teams off guard. And that's just not the type of style that we're going to play right now. We're trying to play more up tempo, but, um, we need to, have more of a defensive identity and he still seems lost out there and I, it doesn't look hopeful. So, um, you know, given James Wiseman's great debut and I think he'll come back down to earth, but I think he'll still land higher ultimately and have a better career than LaMelo. Do you think, so since the draft, um, all of these platitudes have come out of Golden State about Wiseman. Uh, and you know, it's been from the coaching staff. We've heard it from the front office. We've heard it even from people like Steph. And then they not only said it, they did it. His first game as a 19-year-old in the NBA, after missing more than 10 months of, of any kind of organized basketball, they started his ass. So they, they have had nothing but confidence and, and really positive things to say about him. And that's after a draft process where they were tight-lipped and we heard a lot of times from people who we really value on this show that they were not interested in him. So let me ask, do you guys think 
the Warriors knew exactly who they wanted the second that they, they landed that two pick and they were trying to push his value down, trying to hide how much they had interest in him throughout these last few months. I do. Yeah, I really do. I, I you know, maybe this is me being pompous, um, but I, it, it makes me feel good to assume. Um, and in fact, let me put it a different way. If I was a scout and I am Chicago scout or Cleveland scout or somebody in a war room for a team in the draft that was behind Golden State, and I'm trying to figure out who the Warriors might pick so I get a sense of who's going to be left on the board for me or get a sense of how you know engaged in trade talks the Warriors would be willing to do, then one of the things I would try to do is read as much as I could from the beat writers, listen as much as I could to the beat writers podcast, because maybe they drop some kind of a gem, right? And that's the pompous thing. I, I flatter ourselves into thinking maybe when Connor appears on a podcast like The Huddle and is talking about the news that he's gotten for who the Warriors are interested in the draft, why wouldn't opposing you know teams listen to what he had to say? And if that's a possibility, then of course the Warriors would feed him misinformation. The last thing you would want to do is actually have your real position known, right? So, I mean, I don't think there was any misreporting. I think he probably did a phenomenal job in, in communicating exactly what was communicated to him. But now that we're seeing how the Warriors feel about Wiseman, I do. I think that there was misinformation pumped out, and I think they were excited about this guy it, like instantaneously. I think they if, if they had truth serum, the second that Curry was handed the second pick, I think someone would have said, yep, well, I know exactly who we want, and it is James Wiseman. Yeah, I mean, I think if so, if Minnesota takes Lamelo Ball, then I think it gets interesting, right? Because we wanted a wing, and we knew we needed a wing, especially at that moment because we just heard about Clay. So I wonder if you know if Wiseman and Edwards are both there, do we pull the trigger on Edwards instead? Um, but you know, that's all revisionist history. I think. The Warriors knew exactly what they were doing. Um, I think it was purposeful to have tell Connor what they told him, and he, you know, does a great job, and he reports what he is told and what he hears. But it's purposeful that they, you know, send out the smoke screens and do the smoke and mirrors because they saw something in that position and in that guy, and they probably were watching how like a Bam Adebayo plays and says, you know what, this guy can be that kind of player for us and that's you know one of the positions where we've been weakest over the years so um you know i think it was definitely purposeful um but you know i I also think they might have thought differently had both edwards and wiseman been on the board at that time I hope that's not true, but I think it's an interesting question. Uh, Huge fun, you guys. Uh, Happy holidays. We can't tell you how much we appreciate you. Um, If you want to write in to let us know we were funny, not funny, appropriate, inappropriate, anything. (laughs) The best place to reach us is at our Gmail account, warriorsettle at gmail.com. We also are on social media, albeit somewhat limitedly. We only have a Twitter account. That one's at Warriors Huddle. Also, quick shout out to our Patreon supporters. We love you. We appreciate you. And that Slack channel might be the most entertaining thing in my life. So thank you. Go Warriors. Hopefully, we'll see you next week.
Good, good.